Welcome to the MI Hunting Podcast. This week, we're going to finish out that conversation about scouting. You've done your scouting. Now it's time to implement a hunting plan on how to go about hunting those areas in the upcoming season. All right, welcome back to the MI Hunting Podcast. This week, we're just going to dive into a little bit more about, um, let's, or I guess, finishing up the conversation uh, of the scouting as we kind of transition to um, the scouting that leads into public hunting or public land hunting anyways. To start out, we're just going to reiterate a couple of things. You know, certainly one of the, the starting bases of your scouting should be uh, either e-scouting or map scouting looking at those maps and finding areas that you you know, want to look into potential hunting spots or diving into a little bit closer areas where you want to focus your scouting on potential on those potential hunting areas within those larger you know parcels or hunting uh, locations taking that to once you found that location of areas of interest you know expanding out looking beyond the property that you're wanting to hunt seeing what the surrounding properties show so you can get that kind of that big picture you know view of what could be drawn animals to certain areas maybe getting that larger view of potential travel corridors and then once you have those areas marked out the way you where you want to potentially scout or hunt one of the big things again is making sure that you get boots on ground to confirm those areas um, look like they do or how you anticipate they do um, from the map into real life you know there's been a few times where i've looked in the area and it just wasn't what the map showed it to be you know whether that was just you know the map hadn't been updated or you know where you thought certain spatial you know features were or landmarks were it, they weren't quite where you thought they were or they were either too close or they weren't close enough to what you're looking at so you always want to confirm that of what you thought you saw on the on the on the map in comparison to what it looks like when you're standing in the middle of the area if you've gone through all that if you found those you know waypoints and whatnot that you want to look into they look like good potential spots the next part is is kind of figuring out uh, how you're going to go about hunting those potential spots again looking at those map areas you know one of the easiest things to do is to look into your access or how you're going to get in and out of that hunting area and you're looking at are there any uh, like roads or two tracks into the area or if there's any hiking trails you know there's always you know talk about is where you know how far away from those roads um, or trails should you be you know there's been you know that common belief that hey you need to get out away from these you know roads and these trails to get away from where you know most of the hunters will be but by doing that you end up run the potential of bypassing a lot of good hunting ground simply because you're trying to push further away from people uh, where people may even all have that same idea and bypass a lot of the same areas just because they think that it's too close to the access point or too close to the roads one really good example of that is um, actually, I've got two actually good examples of that. The one that I used, or actually both places, I actually uh, hunted hunted the first time last year, where there's one that's right by a two track, and the other one is right next to a major hiking trail. The one that's right by the hiking trail was actually turned out to be my best public land spot. You know, it's one that it is away from the parking lot quite a bit, or where you can access. Um, from a vehicle so where you end up parking it ends up being 
um, you know, with all your hunting gear and everything like that, it turns into about a 30 minute walk to get all the way back to where I'm at. However, you know, again, this is a major trail where people can walk, they can bike ride and stuff like that. I'm only, I don't know, 60 yards off of that trail. So there's actually one of the first times I hunted it, I was sitting in the evening and I literally had people that were just hiking walk by me, you know, while I'm in the stand. You know, it was one of those things that, you know, I'm far enough off where I don't believe that they actually affected the hunt at all. You know, these animals are used to people on these trails and walking and whatnot to where I don't think it seems to bother them that much. You know, more often than not, they're probably just allowing people to walk along the trail and just watch them kind of go by um, if they're bedded in that, you know, in that vicinity. And then they're also kind of used to human scent in the area. So if they cross my track at all during that, you know, hiking trail, they may not think much about it, um, just assuming that I was just another hiker going by. So in regards to foot traffic and scent, it really didn't seem to affect um, my hunting at all. Uh, Like I said, this turned out to be one of my best spots. And again, I was not far off of the major hiking trail there. And then there's another spot, again, kind of in the same area, around the same essentially parcel of this public land, but kind of again on the other side of it, where you know, it was in this area where it had been previously kind of clear cut a little bit, uh, but it's been several years ago. Uh, I can't even remember. It's probably been a good between five to 10 years uh, since that area got cut. So there's a lot of mature saplings and whatnot, actually getting into a lot bigger trees and whatnot, but there's a lot of um, sign in there. You know, there were, I actually lost count at the number of uh, rubs in this area that I found. You know, the deer utilize this as kind of their transition area as they move out into other areas of the parcel. The hard part is, is how you get in the middle of that without really disrupting it. Because you, you have to be very, very careful about where, where you end up putting your stand because the deer can be coming from, honestly, almost any direction. So I ended up, you know, setting up uh, my tree stand not too far uh, from where the two track is. You know, it's one of those, again, um, one of the main two tracks that at any point someone could drive down, but it's in that area where it's just right on the edge of where all that, where all that activity is. And by being right on that two track, you know, I'm able to utilize it on a certain wind where I can come in with the wind blowing to my face, walking up the two track, take a quick little basically a 30, 40 yard step off the two track into my hunting spot. Now a good majority of the activity is going to be in front of me to where, you know, I'm not going to be right in the middle of all that, of all that activity and potentially run into where a deer wins me and spooks and then potentially affects, you know, creates that ripple effect of, you know, deer getting spooked out of the area. So just because you're near a a roadway or a trail doesn't mean that you have to, you know, tromp through a good amount of woods. If you're in an area where you found terrain that works or that, or where you have a significant amount of sign in there, you know, if the sign is there, there's a good indication that, you know, it's not, it's not something that you need to necessarily uh, avoid just because of how close it is to the access point. You know, you may end up having people where a lot of people just are thinking the kind of the same thing that it's just too close to the road. There's not going to be anything there, but if the signs there, the more likely the deer are still going to be there as well even though it's close to those roadways or trails. And then the same thing, you know, in that public land area, uh, utilizing those those roadways and trails um, are, are great ways of, or great avenues of access. 
you know, there are high traffic areas that you are used to that area or use of usage in those areas. But if you do get back farther to where uh, you're kind of off the beaten trail a little bit, then one really important thing, or at least the biggest thing that I focused on last year was access to get in and out of my stance to where if the wind was blowing into a direction where I thought the deer would come from, then certainly that's not a good setup for that night or for that stand area. So really focusing on the wind um, and making sure that to get into your stand, you're not blowing out potential deer you know, out of their beds or something like that. So that's where a lot of my thought process came into place last year of really focusing on access in and out of the stand without disrupting the deer as much as possible. So one of the tools I utilized the most last year was basically the tracker feature uh, on the hunt stand app. Now again, you know, if you have HuntWise or Onyx or anything like that or another type of hunting uh, app like that, they're probably going to have the same feature as well where you can actually use GPS and it'll create a trail basically of your route as you walk. You know, a lot of people use that for um, if they're, you know, blood trailing deer and whatnot where they can kind of retrace their steps. But it's a great feature to use to mark out your uh, access in and out to your stand. You know, I use this on one it was almost a mile uh, cutting through essentially swamp. The first time going through there, it was daytime, no problem. I was able to see where I was going and walk through this fine. But that became a you know completely different, completely different story uh, when I tried to go out to the for first time for a morning hunt when it was still dark out. You know, you get into those cedar swamps, and if you don't know exactly where you're going it is extremely easy to get turned around you know with those thick thick swamps and whatnot you may only be able to see you know 10 feet or so in front of you at a time and with the shadows that are created you know what you thought was a good path during daylight is no longer visible when you're walking in the dark and another thing that i paid attention to was on part of the way in clearly there have been other hunters that have gone back in there before or at least part way through it anyways or we're setting up you know, for season later on, because they had a lot of the, um, essentially those cat eyes of the reflective tacks uh, along the trails. So one thing I thought about is, you know, I considered doing that, but then I ran into the issue where, where I thought was one trail. When I would come back to that same spot another time, I ended up breaking off on another trail. Basically, there were multiple trails with those cat eye uh, tacks in place. So if you were to utilize those cat eyes, you could potentially hop on someone else's trail or an old an old trail from someone else that had you know been there from the previous year and whatnot, and you could end up following the wrong trail. You know, you get into those you know public land areas where there's those cat eye tax, reflective tax everywhere, you know, just because from everyone using them, uh, to where you could just get just as lost using that feature. So I relied on my phone with that track wrap. And basically keep on my own trail that I've already blazed and marked from the first time going through there in daylight. But ultimately, at least it kept me within the range of where I wanted to be to where I was only you know a few feet off the trail one way or the other when I was walking through there during the dark. So that's probably one of my you know key takeaways uh, when especially when you're getting off that beaten trail, have some form of reliable way to get in and out you know, cat eyes or other type of trail markers. There may be other people are using that same uh, type of type of marker 
And if they're hunting in the same areas, you, you could get thrown off, um, especially when you're working, walking through the dark. You know, that this reminds me of another story where, you know, I was hunting on uh, my mom and stepdad's, you know, little 20 acre parcel essentially. And I was trying to make it back to my stand. It was one of the first times going back there in the, you know, just before light. And there had actually been a tree that had fallen from the last time I was there. So I'm getting up to where my tree stand should have been. And then there's this giant tree and all this brush and everything. And I, I felt almost, I felt lost essentially because there was something new in my path that I've never encountered before. So I assumed I was in the wrong spot. So I kind of changed direction thinking, you know, at that point, okay, well, I'm not where I think I am. It must be over this way. Walked a certain distance. I ended up back to the road. You know, basically I'd turned completely away from my tree stand. Well, sure enough, I finally turned back around, kind of got my bearings again. And sure enough, that tree had literally fallen, you know, 10, 15 yards away from where my tree stand was. So I was right there. I was right in front of it and I couldn't find it just because there was something new in the way and I'm getting myself lost. Even on a small parcel like that where, you know, their house was, the neighbor's house was not that far away. So having a good way to, uh, you know, keep track of your access and, you know, your trails going in and out, even if it's a smaller parcel, it's very key to making sure that you make it in and out uh, without disrupting the whole property. And then, you know, again, going back into access and whatnot, you know, looking at that access and figuring out is the spot that you've found and scouted, scouted, is it huntable? And what I mean by that is, is it an area where you can get in and out uh, without disrupting the deer or, you know, basically blowing up your own hunt before you get a chance to hunt it? So, one of the things I ask myself when I find a new spot, is this something that I can hunt uh, several hunts or is it something that is kind of a one once I'm in, you know, it's kind of that you know, a little more aggressive spot. Do I go in there, run the risk of potentially blowing all the deer out? But if it works out great, I, you know, have a high chance of, you know, harvesting deer. If I don't, then I need to get out of that area and basically let it settle again or let everything die down again before I would try to go back in there. Or is this another spot where, you know, where the access is good enough and as long as you're playing the wind properly, you can come, you can hunt that same spot multiple times um, before you really kind of saturate the area with pressure. And again, that ended up being one of my spots where, you know, it was that same one off that walking trail where I was able to essentially hunt that spot almost the entire season um, without it really affecting the animals too much. Now I did notice as it got later in the season from where I hung my tree stand that those deer did end up, you know, essentially trying to skirt a little bit further away from me than what they originally did when I first sat there earlier in the season. So I do think that eventually those deer started to feel my presence just from me being there so often to where they ended up skirting out a little bit further as the season progressed. So eventually probably my activity there my leftover residual scent, uh, you know, did kind of, you know, build up a little bit to where those deer did try to keep a little bit further distance away, but it wasn't something that they, you know, avoided the area altogether. So that's an indication that by my access and my, you know, scent control and playing the wind properly, that I was able to hunt that area multiple times without it disrupting the area to the point where, you know, I was no longer seeing deer activity. 
And then your access has a lot to be able to play into the type of gear that you're going to be using as well. You know, if it's something that's not too far off the two track or off the trail, then you can get away with having a little bit heavier gear or packing in a little bit more gear as well and not having to worry about the weight uh, of that of that equipment. So if you're bringing in your tree stand, you, know, you can have a little bit more, you know, more substantial stand, a little bit heavier one. Or if it's something that you're going to be using some type of blind or, you know, you know, some type of blind that you're going to bring in or like a pop-up blind or something like that, something you can bring in and out. You know, as you get further away from that, from those access points, you know, the more of a consideration that's going to play for you. And then, you know, having to bring in more gear or, you know, having to carry more gear in when you do your setups and whatnot, what type of backpack or something like that that you're going to use to be able to transport that gear. So what I had done last year is I didn't, uh, I had basically this old uh, tree stand set up. It was kind of small. It was, it was actually relatively light and whatnot, but I actually walked it back, uh, you know, just before season start, got it all set up in there, and then basically left it out there, which was good and all, but it ended up being that, you know, where I had set that stand originally ended up being, you know, in the right area, but not necessarily in the right spot. Uh, so uh, over the course of the winter, I did buy myself a little bit more of a mobile or, um, you know, a lighter tree stand setup, the one that I can actually break down after every hunt. So I am a little bit more mobile where I can move my tree stand a little bit. And I have a little bit more peace of mind with that too, of being able to take my tree stand with me. So I'm not having to worry about, you know, locking it to the tree or having someone mess with any of my equipment, you know, when I'm not there. I myself as well as I'm sure many and many of you out there have had bad experience with, you know, people messing with your hunting equipment out on the state land and whatnot. Uh, it's an unfortunate thing that happens, but there are people that will mess with that type of stuff. So if it's something that you can take with you every time, then that's, that's one less thing you have to worry about. And then that pack also plays in the role where, you know, about bringing all the necessary equipment that you need for the hunt and being able to carry it all. So. You know, if it's something that is close to the trail, then you don't need to be bringing a lot of equipment back from the truck if you or the vehicle if you don't need it. But if you're walking a good mile mile into it, then you're going to be packing in or bringing in a lot more equipment that you may, you know, be able to leave in the vehicle if it's much closer and not that far walk. So you got to pay attention to how big of a backpack you have. Do you have enough space to carry everything? You know, last year I ended up doing basically two different things where the spots that are closer to where you know where I could park and whatnot I was able to use my smaller backpack just carry my calls and that type of thing or if I you know was sitting on the ground or anything like that where I'd have you know a small chair set up or some of my extra hunting gear hunting clothes but then another spot where it was basically that one going through the swamp I did bring some more equipment basically I had to make sure that I had everything I needed for the hunt you know I was hunting from the ground again so I would chair and everything like that I packed a little bit extra food and whatnot some water just knowing because of the travel that I would be needing to do make sure that I have that type of stuff to where you know if I did get thirsty if I did get hungry I did make sure too that I had all my deer processing equipment with me as well you know make sure that I could get that deer gutted and cleaned up and everything like that while all the way out there and then ensuring you know because of being further out away from the trail when I did make sure I had 
a really basic like first aid kit um you know i do pack a tourniquet in all my packs just in case and you, you know you need to perform perform some first aid as well as you know backup batteries flashlights and making sure that you have all of your you know gear necessary for the hunt you know you don't want to make that mistake of where you make it all the way out to your tree stand after making it through in the dark you know regardless of how far you're going you know it's never a good feeling you get in your spot you go to grab your release or your rangefinder or something like that and realize you don't have it um you put yourself in a pretty stressful situation um if you don't have you know everything that you were hoping that you're gonna have for the hunt you know there was certainly one time where i where i did forget my release last year and you know it was one of those things where it was just like you you play that immediate battle in your head do i have time to run back and get it do i just stick it out what do i do type of thing so making sure that you have everything in your pack or when you know whatever you're taking out with you to make sure you have everything all the gear that you need for the hunt and then we're going to talk about you know being able to focus on that hunting area and to see or basically give yourself a little more intel so we're going to talk about trail cameras a little bit you know i historically have don't run or haven't ran trail cameras on the state land at all you know i just saw the risk of them being stolen or you know messed with in any way or damaged was just too high so i've never ran you know trail cameras on the state land this year i'm actually going to on two different spots that I have, um, they are a little bit farther walks away, but I just really want to know essentially kind of what's in the area and when are they coming through. So basically I want to see, is there anything in the area worth hunting? And two, are they coming through in the morning or in the evening more often? Basically it goes along that line of, you know, I don't want to blow that area out hunting the wrong time of day um, based on the pattern of movement. So that's why I'm going to focus on is putting out a trail camera at each of those two locations I want to kind of find that out on. I'm probably not going to even put those out until probably September, maybe August. Um, and then just running those um, through basically up until season. And then I'm probably going to pull those cameras back out again. You know, I don't run any cell cameras or anything like that. So it's just kind of give myself an idea of once they've gone hard horn, what time of day are those deer coming through and is there anything coming to that area um, that I want to focus my time on hunting. And then this time it kind of ties everything all together. Um, you know, spending that extra time getting your scouting in, making sure these are areas that you can hunt and that you've done the proper, you know, gather all the intel you can. Uh, ultimately, you want to do this for as many spots as you as you can get really um here in michigan you know pressure is significant you know there are plenty of other hunters out there so if you find a spot that looked really good on the map you scouted it it looks really good you know while you're there it looks like it's easy to hunt you know you have good access and whatnot there's a good likelihood that someone else has found that same spot as well you know, especially uh, I, you know, kind of got reaffirmed that that's could be the situation uh, last year where the, one of the spots I hunted, or actually, I'll take that back, two of the spots I hunted, you know, one spot, you know, I ran into one of the hunter during archery season 
and he was basically we just used the same access point but he wasn't hunting anywhere near me um but then when it came to finally rifle season which that's when a lot more people are out hunting um here here in michigan especially you know i ended up walking back and i've counted five different stand setups or blinds and whatnot that were not there for a good majority of of archery season so that pressure ramped way up as we got close to the rifle season so in an area that you thought that you had you know all to yourself all of a sudden you're surrounded by other hunters you know i was able to i actually was kind of curious to see where you know what the hunting pressure is because everyone always talks about you know how pressured these deer are um you know in states like michigan pennsylvania new york i'm sure there's others that are you know you know, deal with similar numbers. Um, so I just pulled it up to where, you know, on the DNR website for 2018, there were uh, in the range of 558,000 deer hunters here in Michigan. And then I did pull up some other news reports for 2020. There were somewhere between 600,000 and 750,000 hunters, you know, during the course of, you know, of course, with COVID going on and everything like that, we did see uh, that uptick of licensed sales for both fishing and hunting. So I wouldn't be surprised if those numbers are fairly accurate. So that's all to say that there's no shortage of hunters and there's no shortage of people that are probably going to try to hunt the same spots you are. So that's why I highly encourage you, if you have some spots, make sure you have backup spots for those spots. Because the last thing you want to do is be able to go out or have go out to your spot and realize that there's someone else already there or that there's several other hunting parties or other individuals in that same area and that pressure just becomes too high. So you wanna be able to make sure that you have multiple spots, especially as seasons get ramped up, that you're not stuck you know, hunting an area that's overpressured. So that brings me back to um, what I kind of talked about uh, during that scouting uh, episode as well is looking at from where you find that primary spot that you want to hunt expanding out from there to find out you know where those other areas are of interest so where if so if you go in there and there's already a tree stand you know from that spot if you end up having someone move in there you can hunt those fringes um, once you kind of understand that pattern of movement or where the deer are probably going to want to try to be you know traveling to or traveling from where you can still essentially hunt that same area but you're far enough away to where you know in that primary spot that you want to hunt maybe you can't hunt that but you can hunt those fringes and still essentially hunt those same deer you know if you want to still stick in that same area um, or if you don't have very many other spots to do you know, that's one way to avoid some of that pressure but yet still be able to hunt but certainly don't push your luck in that you know don't don't try to squeeze in on other hunters you know, if it's, it's something that you wouldn't want happen to you, so don't do it to other people. Again, we have a lot of hunters in the state. we got to try to make sure we get along. So, you know, there's no spot worth getting in a big old argument about or in a big fight about. So if you do run into a spot where, you know, someone else has been or has moved into your area, you know, if you run into them and talk about each of your, you know, kind of what your plans are, maybe you can still still, still hunt that same area. Um, maybe they're hunting more on the weekend, you're more on the weekdays, or vice versa. So you can work together on that. And ultimately, if it 
comes out to, you know, a lot of times either one or you or them could do this, go into a different spot, you know, understanding like, hey, you know, we both can't hunt the same area. So do make sure that you work with the other hunters out there as much as you can to be able to make sure that the whole thing works. And again, if you have multiple spots where you can hunt, then a lot of times if someone ends up in a spot that you that you were kind of hoping for, you do have those backup spots where you just go to those spots as well and just continue on with your hunt with no type of conflict or anything that, that comes up. So hopefully again, this is just a lot of stuff just not saying that you have to do it this way or that there's a right and wrong to it. These are just some ideas of things that I've ran into and things that I've thought about as, as I go through trying to hunt you know, the state land in the area, allow myself more opportunity, and the challenge of hunting public land as well. Uh, things that you know I've ran into that you know have been a kind of you know lessons learned essentially that I've had. Hopefully this helps you out in your pursuit of you know your hunts um, and things that things that you may not have thought about or just little reminders of things that you should think about you know as you get ready for the season. So that just wraps it up. Now I do have um, a couple analysis or a couple things I do want to cover before I completely wrap this up. Basically in the summertime, it's a good time to go out there and shoot your bow. And there's been a lot, there's a, quite a few different, you know, shoots you can do. Um, basically getting out uh, and doing, you know, getting your practice in. You know, there's the big one that has already gone and passed that I kind of regret that I didn't do this year was the Total Archery Challenge hosted out um, at Boyne Mountain. But there is another hunt coming up, or another shoot, I should say. Uh, hosted by uh, the guys from uh, Boga Hunting. They uh, are out of Grand Rapids. They're doing an sh uh, archery shoot um, down there in Grand Rapids, July 10th. Uh, it's basically going to be, you don't have to register or anything like that. Um, I believe it's like $15 to do the shoot. They're going to have, I think it's 20 targets set up. Um, so go to their website. It's uh, bogahunting.com and look them up. If you're interested in going, I know I'm going to make sure I'm there. Uh, having missed or chose not to do the Total Archer Challenge, I'm you know, kicking myself for it, so I'm not going to miss this one. And then the National Deer Association as well, they've, uh, they had planned for this weekend a women's only um, 3D shoot at the Kingsley Club. But because of the rain and whatnot, they canceled it. Um, so they are planning on uh, rescheduling that. So if you're a lady out there that wants to get out there and do the archery shoot, um, reach out through their contact information. Uh, you can go through the N or National Deer Association page and find the uh, Northwest um, branch, Northwest Michigan branch, um, for more information or on their Facebook page. Um, which I believe is again the same, the Northwest Michigan branch. Um, I'll link the links, or I'll put the links down in the episode description, um, so you can look up both of that um, the NDA or National Deer Association shoot, as well as the Boga shoot. So if you're interested, reach out um, for that NDA one and let them know that you're interested. My sister had actually planned on doing it, and they didn't have that many people basically rsvp for it so if you are interested let them know that way they can you know, know that they do have more people that are wanting to do this and then hopefully if you've got the you know time um 
a couple weekends from now to make the trip down to Grand Rapids. You know, that's one shoot that I'm not going to miss. They're going to have different vendors down there and whatnot. They're going to be hanging out, uh, you know, for that shoot. It'll be fun. It is a good challenge to get you kind of, you know, in the mindset for hunting and whatnot because you're, you know, usually in a group or, you know, it's kind of more of that stressful situation of shooting in front of people at targets and whatnot. That pressure, you know, is a little bit higher than shooting in just your backyard. And it kind of is a good little test to see how you do under pressure or with that little bit additional, you know, stress of making a good shot. And then, of course, we're looking at the end of June, going into July here in the next week or so. So, you, you know, summer is very quickly passing us by and it'll be fall before you know it. And I'm pretty sure I mentioned this before, but if you're looking to get any new equipment or gear, you know, or get your archery equipment or you know doing any tune-up on your firearm or anything like that make sure you get that done because they will get busy very very quickly and the last thing you want to do is be down to the wire and not get your gear back or have it tuned up ready to go or get all the equipment that you wanted to order in or purchase and have it either be sold out or not be able to get shipped to you um in time and then again if you're doing any type of food plotting or whatnot you know, it's starting to get closer to that time frame when those fall plots are going to be going in here within the next couple months. So make sure you get your soil samples done. Make sure that you've got all your equipment ready to go. Have your seed, you know, essentially kind of picked out or be making sure that you're doing your homework on what type of seed or where you want to purchase from to make sure that they have the seed available. You know, there's certainly plenty of in this plenty of industries that are still running into shortages. And the last thing you want to have to do is have something that wasn't available that you were hoping for would be, and then you got to change your plans around again. So be prepared and get get everything done sooner than later for the hunt season, because again, it'll be here before you know it. And then next week, we're going to dive into um, doing more work on on private land or on your home hunting parcels. Again, we're just going to cover through kind of my journey. Uh, going through and what I've learned uh, trying to improve the hunt grounds uh, on my private parcels that I, that I do hunt. If you're more on the private land side than the public land side, join me next week as we kind of go through kind of again the lessons I've learned and things I'm doing to improve my hunting in the future. <laughs>